I'm going to do this lesson backward of sorts in that I want to start at the very end. I want you to think about how Jesus ended this part of this sermon. I tell you on the day of judgment, <clears throat> people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words... You'll be condemned. That's not a fun teaching. That's a little startling. Every careless word you're going to be judged by. And you will be justified by your words or you'll be condemned by your words. Well, I want to spend some time talking about how that could be possible. How is it possible that Jesus could draw this conclusion for us that by our words that we speak, we will either be condemned or we would either be justified. And ultimately, as we come to the end of this lesson, I think you'll see an important tie into what we just did this weekend and the necessity of gratefulness and thanksgiving to God. But to understand this declaration, we need to back up and get a little bit of context. Reverse in your text in Matthew 12, go all the way back to verse 22 and notice what we have happening there. Matthew 12 and verse 22, we're told that a demon oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him and he healed him so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, can this be the son of David? An amazing miracle happens here. A stunning miracle. Here is this demon oppressed man. He is blind and he is unable to speak. And Jesus is able to heal that man. And as we've been going through the gospel of Matthew, you would think that the rest of this paragraph would be all about this healing. Now, amazing that is, the people are asking, is this really the Christ, the son of David, the Messiah, the Savior that we've been long awaiting for? Is, is this the one that we've been looking for? But I want you to notice where this, this account pivots, and that's in verse 24. But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, it is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. I think you note that this is right out of the gate, one of the most ridiculous accusations that you could possibly encounter. <laughs> Jesus heals someone that people are questioning, man, this might be the one we've been waiting for. This might be the Messiah. This, this might be our King and Savior. And you notice that verse 24, the Pharisees are hearing this being said. Is this the son of David? Is this the one? And so what they do <clears throat> is they spend their time saying, no, no, he can't be the Messiah. He can't be the Christ. He's not the son of David. He's not our long awaited savior. Instead, the only way that he is able to do this is because he has the power of Satan. <laughs> and, and I think it is fascinating that this becomes their answer because it is completely illogical. And Jesus is going to show that in just a minute. This is perhaps one of the most ridiculous arguments you can make. Yes, I am stopping the power of Satan by the power of Satan. I am undoing Satan's power 
because of the power he gave me. That is absolutely untenable and completely ridiculous. And that's why Jesus is going to say every kingdom divided itself is laid waste. No city, no house divided against itself can stand. That is just absurd. Anything that is fighting against itself is not going to make it. But I want you to think about something here for a minute before we push on in what Jesus says in his rebuttal. I want you to see that many, many, many times in the scriptures, you are going to see people reject Jesus, not on the basis of logical arguments. And I think that's more important than you think. Because sometimes what we think is, if we could provide enough logic and reason to somebody... They will clearly believe, fall down, worship God, and they'll they'll be a Christian. I want you to see something here. They just watched Jesus cause a man who is blind and mute to see and speak. And they said, well, that can't be from God. That's clearly not the Christ. That clearly must be wicked. That must be from the base of evil. That's from the power of Beelzebub. That's clearly from Satan. It is an irrational argument. One of my favorites of that, that you might remember, is recorded for us in the Gospel of John. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. You remember what the enemies now want to do? They all don't bow down and go, wow, resurrection, unbelievable. He was dead more than three days ago. We need to follow him. They say, you know, we need to kill Lazarus. We can't have that evidence walking around. We can't have that being a testimony about this guy. So let's kill him instead. Here's my point. People don't reject because of logical arguments. (laughs) That's not the issue. The issue is not, well, I've got this really great logical sound argument and that's true even today. Just just read the books. It always cracks me up. Uh, is it Bart Ehrman, I think? He, well, okay, how did it all start? Well, there was this alien thing that, you know, that that's logic and reason. And I still always say, where did that come from? Okay, let's say you're right. That had to come from somewhere too. Something came from somewhere. It's not about logic and reason. And that's what's happening here. This is a flat out denial of Jesus in the face of plain evidence. And their reasoning is not logical. So what Jesus is going to do in this response is make a very important point. It is the point that we're going to observe throughout this lesson this morning. Fruit says something. Fruit says something. Watch what Jesus does here. Verse 26 And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods Unless he first binds the strong man, then indeed he may plunder his house. 
Here is Jesus making a very simple but very important observation. Casting out demons means that the kingdom of God has come. In essence, casting out demons does not mean I am working by the power of Satan. That is ridiculous. No house, no city, no kingdom can stand. Satan cannot stand if that's what I'm doing. No, it's actually the opposite. Since I am casting out demons and fighting the power of Satan, therefore we see that the kingdom of God has come. And he proves that by using an illustration in verse 29. You only can plunder the strong man's house once you've bound the strong man. Now notice he doesn't give an explanation. You're supposed to draw the conclusion. Since I'm casting out demons, I've bound Satan. I've gone into his house I've bound him, and that's what you're seeing. The fruit says something. And my fruit of casting out demons shows the kingdom of God has come, Satan is bound, and I'm the one in charge. And so you see this this very important picture. And I want us to, to appreciate Jesus saying these words here, to say, That he has come and bound the strong man and has plundered his house. The New Testament writers will will key in on that and explain that idea. Like the Apostle John. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Please think about that idea. He came, bound the strong man, and plundered his house. And here's John saying, here's why he came. He is destroying the works of that strong man. He is plundering that house. Or Hebrews 2 verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook in the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong death. Slavery. I, I love this one. The reason Jesus has come is to destroy the one who has power over death. Satan has power over death. And Jesus goes, I just ripped that away from him so that you have no reason to fear death anymore. I have taken that power from him. No reason to fear. No reason to be in terms of that lifelong slavery and fear of death I've taken care of that for you. And that's what even the Apostle Paul will say in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 56. The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus comes and says, I have bound the strong man and plundered his house. That is a really big deal. And the point that Jesus is trying to communicate is his actions say something. Him casting out demons, him healing people, healing the blind, healing the mute is a statement. That fruit is saying something and it's saying he has victory over Satan. He has victory over death. He has victory over sin. He is in complete control and in complete charge. They don't accept that. They're looking at him going, ah, we can't believe that. And Jesus says it's quite evident what this means. It is quite evident that I have this power. And so the fruit that Jesus is showing shows his victory then over Satan. Now, 
Hold on to this idea for a minute. This fruit says something comes back in in a minute. But there is this what I will call interlude warning that happens right here. And it's a very important warning. Notice what Jesus does here in verse 30. Whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. Therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the son of man will be forgiven. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or in the age to come. All right. Pretty simple. At least to start verse 30. You're either with Jesus or you're against him. Kind of non-starter, straightforward, pretty obvious, but maybe not so obvious, friends. There's no fence riding with Jesus. There's no middle ground. There's no neutral. You either are with him and working for him, or you are against him and working against him. He makes it abundantly clear. Your choice, where are you? No middle ground, no neutral. Either for him or against him either working for him or working against him. But notice what he then does in verses 31 and 32. Here Jesus says, every sin and every blasphemy that is proclaimed against the Son of Man will be forgiven. Now we usually don't want to read that part. We get to the other part where we're really stuck. And then blasphemy in the Holy Spirit is not going to be forgiven. Hold on to that for a minute. Don't, Don't miss the good news right here. Notice that Jesus said in verse 30 and in verse 31... Or sorry, verse 31 and verse 32. Every sin. That's worth underscoring. Every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven, people. That's great news. Everything we've said and done, forgiven. No loophole. Every sin. Every single sin forgiven. Great news. That's why Jesus is here. That's why he has come. This is what he's showing by his power. Why is he healing? Why is he casting out demons? To show he has authority over Satan, sin, and death. To show he has gone into the strong man's house and bound him up and plundered his goods. He is trying to show every sin can be forgiven through Jesus. So this is where everybody gets stuck. If I had like top five questions asked through the website or top five questions preachers get asked, definitely this one is on the top five. Have I committed the unforgivable sin? What is this unforgivable sin and how do I know if I have done it? It says there in verse 31, but the blasphemy against the spirit will not be forgiven. Also in verse 32, whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven in this age or in the age to come. All right, so what does that mean? Well, let's take a step back and think about what has just happened in this scene For Jesus to bring this up. What has just occurred? We have just read a paragraph that should have been a paragraph of amazement about the power of Jesus to heal this demon oppressed man who was blind and was mute. And what should have been that great reaction of everybody? Well, it starts off that way. This might be the one. 
This is the Savior. This is the Messiah, the Son of David. This is the one we've been waiting for. But what did they do? What did these Pharisees do? They attributed the work that God had done as Satan's work. That's what they've done. They have looked at Jesus, looked at the healing, looked at the miracle, looked how this person who was oppressed by Satan has now been freed by Satan. And they have drawn the conclusion that must be from Satan. What has been revealed? What's been revealed is that their hearts are so closed off to God. I mean, think about how that's some next level darkness going on right there. That you look at goodness and you look at a healing and you say, no, that's not from God. That's from Satan. That's like the whole next level darkness right there. (laughs) You're taking something that is clearly and evidently good and right and saying that's not from God. That is revealing how closed off their hearts are. To be able to look at something so obvious and go, well, that can't be Jesus. That can't be the Messiah. That can't be the Savior. He's not the one. That can't be from God. And it reveals then the darkness of their heart. Let me give a quick answer to the question as it usually arises. Have you committed the unforgivable sin? My answer is always this. If you're asking the question, you haven't. If you're asking the question, you haven't. Why? Because you still care. (laughs) You still care about God. You still care. Your heart is not so closed off that you go, I don't care. Doesn't matter to me. Whatever, doing whatever, irrelevant to me. You still have something within you that has a concern about the things of God. These Pharisees don't. Again, how darkened, how separated are you to say healing this man is from Satan? And that's ultimately what is being shown here. And I want you to think about what what the Pharisees are doing here. Is not only having this heart that is so close to what God has done as you see in Christ so that you would say it's the power of Satan. They're unwilling to consider what Jesus is even doing. It's so dismissive. Notice the prior verse was the people going, is this the son of David? Hmm. We need to consider what he's doing. That might be something. The Pharisees are not going, we need to think about this. We need to handle it. No, they're just saying, no. Outright dismissed. No consideration. No thought. No concern. No chance. He's not the one. Don't believe it. It's all from Satan. And I want you to think about how the Pharisees are doing what verse 32 is saying. It says, anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven in this age or the age to come. What Jesus is doing are these restoration works. He is restoring people. He is renewing people. He has come to redeem people. He is returning people to God. This is the great work of what was promised in the Holy Spirit was that when the Spirit comes, it's going to be a time of refreshing and renewal and restoration. And Jesus is showing it through his works. I am healing people. I'm restoring them. 
I'm renewing them. I'm forgiving sins. Here is this great restoration. And what are they saying about that restoration and renewal? It's satanic. And Jesus goes, you can say what you want about me and be forgiven. But if you look at my works and say that's from the devil, you don't have a chance. You don't have a chance. If you can't see my restoring healing work is from God. You're never going to see anything. And that's why they're not going to be forgiven. And that's the whole point of what he's driving at right there. Every sin will be forgiven. But a heart that is so closed off to God. That looks at the good works of God and says that can't be from God. Is never going to be moved. It's never going to be changed. That's why he gives this warning here. But I told you to hold in your mind. He comes back to this big idea. Fruit says something. Look at verse 33. Either make the tree good and its fruit will be good. Or make the tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. Catch that idea? Fruit says something. Good fruit comes from good trees. Bad fruit comes from bad trees. Verse 34. You brood of vipers. <laughs> that had to go over well. You brood of vipers. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Here's a big point that Jesus is communicating. What comes out of your mouth is what's in your heart. Fruit says something. And your words are the fruit that reveals what's in the heart. And that's why he's challenging them. You really think you're good? Look at what you just said. You just said Christ is doing works by the power of the devil. You're not good. Your your words reveal your heart. Your words are revealing the tree. That fruit that just came out of your mouth says something about who you are. And that's why he can say in verse 35... The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. What comes out of a person ultimately begins with what's inside. I'm sure I've said this a few times, but I always it always cracks me up when people will say, Yeah, I know I said those things, but that's not what's within me. (laughs) Your mouth speaks what is in your heart. And you can't say, I said that, but that's not who I am. Well, yeah, it is. It came from somewhere. And friends, that's why Jesus just said, you can be judged by your words. Let's get back to where we started. Verse 36, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified and by your words, you'll be condemned. Why will we be justified or condemned by our words? Is it just because of words? No. 
You will be justified or condemned by your words because your words reveal what's inside. That's why words matter. It's not just simply God saying, here's what I'm going to do on the day of judgment. I'm going to take your trillions upon trillions of words that you've ever said. I'm going to put them in front of my eyes and go, okay, uh, pass or fail. That's not how it's working. The picture is you are judged because of your words, because the words reveal who you are. The words reveal the heart. The words reveal what's inside. The words reveal if you've been transformed or not. The words reveal if you're connected to God or not. The words reveal if you have a devotion and a love for God or not. That's why words matter. Not he's saying, well, forget everything on the inside. I'm just going to look at your words. Quite the opposite. The words are fruit. And fruit says something. So a couple applications I want to make. Number one, the goal then is not to clean up our words. One of those being a preacher, if I had a dollar for every time somebody said, oh, sorry, you're a preacher. I shouldn't have said that. (laughs) Trying to clean up my language. That's not going to do you any good. Trying to clean up your words will never succeed. Because the words are the fruit. Clean up the heart. The goal is not to change words. You're to look at your words and realize heart problem. That's what Jesus is putting his finger on. It's not about just cleaning words, but cleaning hearts. So friends, let's make this hurt for a second. If we have angry words, there's a heart problem. We say malicious words. That's a heart problem. If we have words that lack self-control, gentleness, kindness, patience, goodness, joy, love. It's not a tongue problem. It's a heart problem. And you might have caught I was doing the fruit of the spirit there. Fruit says something. And if our words are angry, malicious, unkind, not gentle, not peaceable. It says there's a heart problem. And we need to be fully, fully aware of that. And I think it's important to consider than the big idea of what is happening here at this moment. What should the Pharisees have done when they saw this healing? Just kind of be the outside observer, be the fly on the wall for a minute. And they just saw this demon-oppressed man who could not speak, could not see. And Jesus heals him. What should have been the response? What should they have done? I think the response, your answers in your mind will mirror something close to this. There should have been thanksgiving and giving glory to God. That's what should have happened. They should have looked at that and said, unbelievable. Thanks be to God 
that this man has been healed by the power of Christ. Here is the one and God should be glorified in that. And here's then the thrust of the problem is what the Pharisees had done. And a warning that's given to us. Is any a heart that would take the good that God has done. And attribute it to anyone else or anything else is condemned. To take the good that God has done and apply that goodness to anyone else or anything else but God is exactly what this text is talking about. Exactly the concern that Jesus has. It's exactly the warning. I had time, but I'll let you run, run your race in your mind for yourself personally. How many times do good things happen and we go, boy, it's a sure good thing. I'm so smart. I, you know, I'm just so amazing. I, 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 you know, I just, my abilities and my smarts and, you know, I just was right on it. But... Careful. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. And every good that we experience is intended for us to draw our eyes upward and give thanks to God and give glory to God. And the Pharisees had a heart that took the glory of God and the good acts of God and attributed it somewhere else. That can't be from God. That's got to be something else. And that's why they were condemned. And so, friends, I want us to consider by thinking about how fruit really does say something. And I want you to just take a moment and think about your fruit. And here we lived, we had just this weekend of a time where we could be grateful. And we just said that the problem that we see with the Pharisees is they saw the good hand of God and the amazing works of God. And they were not thankful to God and instead attributed it somewhere else. And we all agreed, you all nodded with me, they should have been thankful to God and glorified God. And that's what we need to be doing as a people of God. Be thankful to God for your family. I know. Broken and messed up as it is. I know, I got you. Be thankful to God for the family that you have. Be thankful to God for the place that you are allowed to live in. I know it's not a mansion. I know it's not 10,000 square feet. I know it's not marble laid. Be thankful for where you're at and enjoying the good gift that God has provided to you. Be thankful for your wealth. I know you only have two pennies and no more. You can barely find those and rub them together. Be thankful for what you have. Be thankful for the wealth that God has given to you for you to enjoy, to spend, to use, to share, to give to others. Be thankful for the riches that God has given to you. Be thankful to God for all the small things in your life. Think about all those small things because even those small things are the daily blessings that God gives to you. Look at those things that God does. Things that seem so insignificant and attribute glory to God and give thanks to God for that. And be thankful to God 
for the hope that's in Jesus Christ. Because that's the most important thing. And that's the big message that Jesus is proclaiming. Do you see who I am? I have come to this earth. That strong man who had the power of death and sin weighing over you. It's like when you were a kid. Jesus came down and bound him up, took his lunch money and said, you ain't going to do anything anymore. It's just, remember that in school? You'd always have the bullies. Man, weren't you glad when somebody finally did something with that guy? <laughs> finally do something. Christ comes and deals with the strong man who was oppressing. And Jesus says, I've bound him up, plundered his house, set you free, given you life, given you hope, given you everything you need so that you can give glory to him. Fruit says something. What are we saying? And what are we showing our hearts to be filled with? Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we know that you have given us so much. You have blessed us with so much. And all of us, to varying degrees, have the ability to come before you and to thank you for what we have. How you have blessed us with people in our lives. And how you've taken care of us, given us the provisions that we need. That we are able to eat and drink. That we are able to have shelter. And that we are able to enjoy what you have granted to us. Lord, I pray that you would forgive us for when we have not been grateful for what you have done. And Lord, I pray that you would forgive us for when we have attributed these good gifts to anyone else or anything else. And Lord, I pray that you would transform our hearts in such a way so that the words that would pour out of our lips would always be the fruit of thanksgiving and glory to you. Lord, forgive us for angry words. Forgive us for malicious words. Forgive us for words that reveal our lack of self-control, our lack of love, our lack of joy, our lack of peace, our lack of patience, our lack of kindness, our lack of gentleness. Lord, I pray that you'd forgive us of those words. And Lord, help us to see when we say those words that we have something deep within us that needs working on. And Lord, help us to press into you in those times that you would heal our hearts, transform our hearts so that we would speak the words you want us to speak. Lord, thank you for the amazing restoration works of your son that show that we can be healed, that we can be saved, that we can be forgiven. And Lord, we long for eternity with you. And so help us in the days ahead to speak words from pure hearts and pure lives. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll sing an invitation song and we invite you to come to Jesus this morning. The opportunity to give your life to him and allow that transforming work to begin that process. Repent of your sins, turning away from sin and evil and selfish desires and determining today that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, whom you will follow and serve all the days of your life ahead.
If you have not been immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins, to make that a priority today, to begin your walk with Jesus this very day, would you let us know if you want to do that? Talk to me afterward, talk to someone next to you, or you can come forward while we stand and while we sit.